Hello and welcome to the In Publishing podcast. My name is James Evely and I'm the editor of In Publishing. My guest this time is Ewan Jong, founder and editor-in-chief of Out There magazine, a luxury travel and lifestyle magazine aimed primarily, but not exclusively, at the LGBTQ plus community. I talked to Ewan about how the magazine has evolved since it launched in 2010, how it's coped with the pandemic, and about the hot topic issues of diversity and inclusion, amongst many other things. Ewan tells us why print is such a magical medium. I'm a lover of print, and I feel that particularly at the luxury end of the market, there's, there's nothing uh, as tactile and as, a, as, an, and as, as experiential. In fact, that's, that's a key word. You know, being, we, we talked about being experiential earlier, uh, and there's just nothing as experiential and as tactile as a print magazine. How the pandemic, which grounded the travel industry, had nonetheless given him the opportunity to rethink the business. The pandemic gave us the opportunity to take stock uh, about what was really important to our business and focus on the future. And, I, you know, I, I believe actually we've come out with a strategy for the future that is robust. Um, and we have, you know, we delivered things within the pandemic, toyed with ideas, toyed perhaps is the wrong word, but sort of developed and sort of fine tuned ideas of what the future uh, could be uh, for out there. And I think we're in a really good place and about their winning entry in the PPA Diversity Initiative of the Year Award. Well, actually, our submission was uh, all about how diversity shouldn't be an initiative at all. You know, and diversity should be ingrained into the very fabric of your everyday. And we demonstrated how that was the way uh, we worked out there. And that's what led us to win. Before we hear more from Ewan, a quick word about our valued sponsors. We would like to thank our podcast sponsor, Air Business, a market leader in distribution and subscription management services for the publishing industry. Its end-to-end service includes subscriber acquisition and marketing strategy, worldwide distribution, digital mail and e-commerce fulfillment, and warehouse and freight logistics. For more information, visit airbusiness.com. Ewan Jong, welcome to the In Publishing podcast. Hi, James. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Now, I notice, Ewan, on your LinkedIn profile, you describe yourself as um, experientialist-in-chief. Um, what, what exactly is an experientialist-in-chief? <laughs> I'll tell you, you're not the first to ask, James. Um, it's just a snazzy way of saying editor-in-chief, really. Um, we describe uh, all our writers here. In fact, anyone that's uh, part of the team of out there as an experientialist as we're you know heavily involved in experiential travel the people that get involved in experiential travel are called experientialists um and that's our hashtag that's become a hashtag particularly over the last couple of years and actually we're in the in the um in the process of trademarking it so trademarking what the word experience the word experientialist yes oh well i did can you do that? You that can. sounds. You certainly can. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. If it's a property that you find that you've owned, um, and um, we, we found that we've owned it, but we started to see, you know, other magazines and travel bloggers and, and, and you know people on social media using it now, so we wanted to uh, make it our own. So, so did you coin it first? That's probably a very basic question. Did you? Did, were you the first to use that word? Well, I'm sure we weren't the first ever, <laughs> but we're the first to use it most commonly. Okay. And what exactly is experientialist travel? 
it's not presumably lying on a beach. No, experiential travel is, uh, is, 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 you know, what we would say a sector of travel where you truly experience something. You go and you, you know, you, you, you experience what it's like to be in that destination, what it's like uh, to en- embrace the culture of that destination, to get under the skin of the destination. Okay. Now, you launched Out There magazine in 2010. Um, what was the gap in the market you identified and what was the ambition back then? Well, you're, you're aging me, <laughs> James. <laughs> um, but really, like, you know, yeah, it's been, it's been 11 years. Uh, uh, t- we celebrated our 10th year in a, in a pandemic. Um, but, you know, it was a celebration nevertheless. Back in 2010, we, we you know, we saw a gap in the market. Uh, and that was that there wasn't uh, storytelling really for people like me. That's where we started, really. Um, mainstream publications weren't being very diverse or inclusive uh, when it came to travel storytelling. And LGBT publications uh, were very uh, fixed on uh, telling stories about how we're supposed to live our life as a gay person. Um, and we felt we didn't necessarily fit into that mold and that, you know, we wanted to see the world like everybody else, but we wanted to see it safe and we wanted to be celebrated and welcome wherever we went. Um, and there just wasn't anything like it. So we decided to start um, Out There magazine on that basis. Uh, and where did you see it going? I mean, what? How, how big was it when you launched? I mean, what was your ambition? Was it something you, you saw growing? Uh, what, what was the end goal? You know, there wasn't at the time, you know, it was a little bit of a kitchen table publication. We literally started on my kitchen table. Um, You know, we, me and my business partner, I say we, me and my business partner, Martin. Uh, Martin had worked in um, publishing for a little while. He he was at the creative helm of of, of many magazines. Um, And I was in marketing. And when we saw that gap in the market, we thought, you know, we really, we really should try and do something like this. Um, And... It just started as a hobby, so to speak, that evolved into a business. And if you look back at your launch issue um, and you compare it to, let's say, your most recent issue or, you know, a a modern, uh, you know, a recent one, how do the two differ? Uh, They're extremely different, actually. We started um, the magazine as more of a lifestyle magazine. So within that, we had a lot more sort of arts and culture, um, lifestyle, fashion, um, and it was uh, a very thick magazine. It was like a, more like a coffee table book, like 300 pages almost. Um, uh, and today uh, we're much more, we're still, we're still considered a coffee table book, uh, but we're much lighter and we're very, very focused on travel. So there was an evolution there between sort of general lifestyle and moving into, into travel. Um, I can share the story really, if you, if you, if you want to hear it, you know, Absolutely. it just wasn't, um, what when we when we started you know moving forward with the magazine we found that it wasn't very commercially viable we found that fashion advertisers really wanted to be in fashion magazines and travel advertisers really wanted to be in travel magazines um so what we actually did was to split them so we had out there and then we had which was an arts and culture journal and we had out there travel and we had out there style um and out there travel just skyrocketed uh, there was a real demand and a real hunger the type of storytelling that we were doing um, and eventually it just made sense uh, commercially to drop the other titles and to focus uh, on travel. Wow so that must have been quite a, that that presumably was a major turning point for you. Absolutely absolutely you know sometimes you've just got to try these things um, and you've just got to uh, you've got to see where the market takes you 
uh, it's an evolving, it's an evolving market publishing, you know, um, and this was at the time, you know, we started the magazine, you got to think at the time where people were saying print was dead. Uh, and everyone was moving to a digital publishing, but we truly believed in print publishing and we wanted to do something a little different and show that there was still room for this, you know, luxurious uh, printed publications. So, so tell, tell us, I mean, why do you believe or why did you, well, why do you still believe in print? I believe in print uh, purely because I, I'm a lover of print and I feel that particularly at the luxury end of the market, there's there's nothing... Uh, as tactile and as as an and as, as experiential. In fact, that's that's a key word. You know, being we we talk about being experiential earlier, uh, and there's just nothing as experiential and as tactile as a print magazine, and it allows you to disappear into a world. Particularly when we're talking about travel, to disappear into a different world, to really take time out and to to really engage with the content. I feel with digital, particularly now with mobile. You know, there's always potential interruptions and email might ping or a text might ping and you can't really step away from that. Um, so I feel that luxury print gives you uh, that that opportunity to uh, escape for a little bit, which is, you know, exactly what we want people to do uh, because we're a travel magazine. And you come out, is it four times a year, the, the magazine, the print magazine? It is quarterly, yes. And so you describe the coffee table book. Can you tell us about your design and production standards and ethos? You know, what 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 is the secret of, you know, a, producing a, a luxury print as opposed to just, let's say, bog standard? To be very discerning. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the key thing. And I can tell you our creative director, my, you know, my business partner, Martin, is extremely discerning. Um, it, it's you've got to create an experience. You've got to to create a world essentially within the pages of your magazine where people feel they can you know navigate and move around it's not just about delivering information it's delivering inspiration and i feel that's really really important to translate into the design into you know into the uh production standards so we have you know a foil masthead we have soft touch covers uh we have uh 100% recycled but textured paper to give that, you know, to, if you're buying a luxury good, that's what you, you know, that's what you want to, 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 to get. Um, you're creating a luxury product essentially. And in terms of the layout of the pages, uh, how would you, so for somebody who hasn't seen the magazine, what does a feature spread in, in out there look like? Uh, lots of photography. Uh, photography is a big thing for us, you know, particularly in the travel industry. Uh, when you're trying to sell travel, you're trying to inspire travel pictures, uh, do a lot of the talking, uh, but also um, really clean design layouts. And, you know, to be honest, my creative director uh, can spend a whole day telling you about this, but, you know, top line, <laughs> clean layouts, um, easy to easy to, 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 to uh, engage with information and inspiration and lots of beautiful pictures. Lovely. Well, you sold me on it, certainly. So now your strap line, your motto is the three D's, diversity, discovery and discernment. So can you tell us about each of those and how they apply to the brand? <laughs> so uh, I started my life in marketing. Oh, well, I started my life in the, working for a pub, but um, I actually started and, and evolved into marketing and, and PR. Uh, so that was my previous life and before publishing. So I kind of like to uh, brand things up. And actually, it, this is quite a recent thing. This was just pre-pandemic. Um, we got together and we, we, we decided that we needed to 
really solidify what it is that out there was about because we needed to know that internally so that we could pass that on to all our stakeholders and, and our readers. We started life as an LGBTQIA uh, magazine and we saw the market evolving. We saw our audience evolving actually literally five years into our development. We saw that we were picking up uh, essentially straight female readers as well uh, as gay male readers that we originally wanted to target. Um, and we had to go and work out why. So we did a little bit of research and we found out that you know, the travel concerns of a solo female traveler, for example, was identical to that of a gay man. They wanted the security, they wanted, uh, you know, the, 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 they, they enjoyed uh, luxury and they enjoyed the finer things in life. They didn't want to get leched on in a bar, but they also want to be respected, you know. So I always say this when I come down to breakfast uh, at a hotel in the morning, some people always say to me, uh, some people say to me, uh, Ewan, is, is your wife joining you for breakfast? But I don't have a wife. And the same thing happens to a, you know, a solo female traveler. They may be a high-flying CEO of a, of a bank and they come down to breakfast at a hotel and someone says to them, is your husband joining you for breakfast? You know, uh, So diversity became really the, the, the linchpin of, of, of what we were about in terms of our content strategy. Uh, and we found that delving into our audience base more, you know, we found a lot of other marginalized groups that were not people we originally targeted, people of color, people who are differently abled, because they don't get content um, in the same way that we put, you know, produce content. They, they just don't get it elsewhere. They don't get it in the mainstream. So we had evolved onwards from being what was a magazine for LGBT people to, to a magazine that was the voice uh, for those who don't, uh, really feel they're represented in, in other mainstream titles. So this diversity and inclusion became one of the key points and one of our key differentiators. So we wanted that to be, you know, the lead pillar uh, of our values. Uh, discovery, obviously, that links very tightly with travel. Um, we are uh, all about discovering new experiences, discovering the world's best experiences. So the, the subject of discovery and opening your minds and uh, pushing boundaries was also very important to us. And discernment, obviously, being a luxury title, uh, we needed discernment. Um, and we felt that those three Ds, uh, as you said, uh, really summed up what we were about and, and, and helped advertisers, helped readers and helped other stakeholders, PRs, truly understand what we were. Now, you mentioned you were in there, you know, identifying new reader groups you, you mentioned or segments you mentioned um single single women did the discovery of that change the way you marketed the magazine or the way you you know you went out looking for your audience absolutely absolutely not actually we did we didn't change who we were we were very true to who we were um what we wanted to do was uh to be a magazine for all. I always said this, you know, I, although we targeted LGBT customers, we would be so happy if straight readers or heterosexual readers felt that they could pick up this magazine and still feel inspired by the content. So we didn't change anything about the way we approach the world, but maybe we uh, spent a little bit of more time looking at the editorial strategy to be more diverse and inclusive ourselves. Now, when lockdown was announced uh, March last year, it was immediately obvious that travel would be one of the hardest hit sectors. Um, what, what was your reaction when that announcement was made? And what was the scale of the challenge you, you faced at the time? <laughs> well, I think uh, it's needless to say, it's the same as everyone else. You know, we were shocked. 
uh, at first um, and you know it, it, being part of the publishing industry and being part of the travel industry both together uh, no doubt they were they were industries that were going to be hit um, I'm a glass half full kind of person so I don't really wallow in the doom and gloom for, for too long and actually very quickly we, we got the team together uh, not physically not physically together but we got the team together to sort of you know brainstorm what the future could hold and how uh, we were going to navigate this time. Uh, having also worked in travel through the tsunami in Asia and on through through 9-11, you know, I, I, I was kind of anticipating that this wasn't a thing that would go away very quickly. Uh, although you could see in my earlier editorials, particularly editorials around April 2020, you know, it was, I was talking about it as a matter of months rather than a matter of, <laughs> of a year or more. Wishful thinking. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, we quickly figured out that if, if it was going to be a bad year for business, uh, let's make it a really good year for our brand. Um, so we did not take a break. We kept going, you know, uh, and we, we knew that our audience who were people who loved to travel, who loved the whole idea of travel would be feeling uh, very down uh, and they needed to be sort of kept pepped up and, and inspired. Um, so we doubled down on, on digital content. Uh, we, we created a campaign, uh, which hashtag was keep your mind traveling. Um, and we launched that pretty much a week after the lockdown was announced in the UK. Uh, and it was essentially a feel good newspaper, a digital feel good newspaper. So to say that brought, uh, you know, the best inspiration of what people were still doing out in the world, uh, and to bring hope to our readers. And we coupled that with a fortnightly newsletter that went to directly to our entire database to just keep people, um, keep people enthralled and also to aid positive mental health. You know, uh, we knew that this, this would be a major issue and we just, we, we wanted to do this. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a strategy to think how are we going to make some money in this time? It really wasn't. It was how can we keep our audience who has been with us for the last 10 years engaged? What what content did you push out? Because obviously people weren't traveling, so you weren't getting new material in, or, or were you? Uh, we were uh, we were quite lucky, uh, I would say, in the first three months of uh, 2020. Uh, let, let's, let's put this in some, into some context. 2019 was our best year ever. Yeah, So we had planned uh, to go into 2020 with gusto. So we spent the first three months of 2020 really getting out and going content. We expanded our, our, our freelancer base. Uh, we brought in a lot of content at that time. Um, we were also aware, though, that, you know, it's sometimes very hard to tell people about traveling out in the world when, you know, they're stuck at home. So we sort of engaged in content that was much more about sort of how to experience the world at home, much like what, you know, a lot of the, the big travel brands were doing. So we amplified their stories. Um, you know, we, 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 we created stories about mindfulness. Uh, we we uh, arranged uh, not podcasts, but little Zoom presentations with speakers from all over the world uh, to talk about what they're doing in their part of the world, just to keep everyone engaged. And what feedback did you get from from the audience? Oh, it was brilliant. Uh, digitally, uh, you know, we've never seen figures like that before in our 10 years of doing business. Uh, numbers were, were way up, engagement were way up, and we realized uh, the power of our database. 
and actually how direct to inbox was so important to us. And of these new initiatives, will they, will they, will you develop them further in future? Have they got a, have they got a life after the pandemic? Absolutely, the experientialist is here to stay. It has, cre- it has created uh, much more uh, online space for us. Uh, it's really won us a lot of uh, uh, online, you know, online engagement. I think it's actually really sort of demonstrated how creative we were, and. I feel uh, and I hope actually that we will come back stronger uh, as the pandemic starts to to, to move away um, because of what we did uh, with this digital pivot. See, I tried to avoid using that word, but you know, pivot. Pivot, <laughs> it comes pivot out in every word of 2020. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, you and do you think you know? Let's say in a few years' time, with with hopefully the pandemic, you know, well past. Um, do you think you'll look back on this period as having you know some positives? You know, despite obviously all the you know, the, the traumas around from a business strategy perspective and a business performance perspective, do, do you think there has been an upside to it? Absolutely. Glass half full, James, always. You know, um, we have learned so much and we have learned to also focus as a business on the things that are really important to us as a business, but also as a brand. Uh, you know, in like I said, in 2019, we had a really good year, our best year ever, but I felt we were actually constantly firefighting and we were always doing things that we were told we were supposed to do rather than things that we actually really wanted to do and we felt was very passionate about so the pandemic gave us the opportunity to take stock uh, about what was really important to our business and focus on the future and I you know I, I believe actually we've come out with a strategy for the future that is robust um, and we have you know we delivered things within the pandemic toyed with ideas toyed perhaps is the wrong word but sort of developed and sort of fine-tuned ideas of what the future uh, could be uh, for out there, and I think we're in a really good place. Now, you're you're the founder, I believe, of the LGBT plus travel symposium series. Can you tell us a bit more about that? You know what you were trying to achieve, what it did, and what success you've had with it. Well, yes. So the LGBT travel symposium series came uh, as a result of a lot of the brand that we work with actually really loving what what we did to advance uh, more diverse and inclusive travel um and while we're a consumer facing uh publication there was uh, a need we identified a need uh for travel brands but particularly destinations uh, but also hotels uh, to learn more about how to serve our audiences better our audience better uh on property to treat them with respect to treat them uh with dignity to celebrate them as well uh, and there was a, a skills gap. There was a learning gap. And it was something as, you know, um, as we advance a society uh, that a lot of these brands felt very uh, passionate about. Um, I have the privilege of being a tourism ambassador for the Tourism Authority of Thailand. Uh, and it was them actually that first approached to me and said, you know, we we need some kind of education uh system to help people on the ground in Thailand to, to, to learn more about this market. Uh, and we feel that you're uh, the best spokesperson to do it. Um, and we molded over and we thought, actually, this could be this could be a really good thing. And it's something that's very linked to our brand. But, you know, but uh, and, and something we were very passionate about. So we kicked off the first ever with the support of the Tourism Authority of Thailand in Bangkok. 
Um, and it was the feedback was amazing. We had you know over two hundred brands attend, uh, and with that sponsors uh, uh, and um, people who wanted to to host events and parties. Um, and it was a, a success. So since then, we've rolled it out uh, to other markets, uh, and we're already working. Actually, we're working on one in 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 Sweden in November, and uh, one next year in South Africa. Uh, and what impact did did those symposiums have? You know, when when the dust had settled and you know all the brands had gone back to their day job, what, what success had you had? What difference had it made? I think they went back to their day jobs with open minds and that that's all you know we wanted to do we wanted to inspire people to think differently to think about uh ways of engaging with people that may not you know they they may not have in their in their immediate friendship group or their or their peer group and that those people needed you know needed to be celebrated so I you know I hope we will achieve a more diverse and inclusive travel industry in fact um, and, you know, I'd, I'd love for something similar to happen in publishing, because I think we need a more diverse and inclusive publishing world as well. So how would you see that working, maybe? I, I'm working on that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking about it. I think, you know, I think the desire needs to be there first. And, you know, having uh, last year, we won the PPA Diversity Initiative of the Year Award. And I think the PPA that we, you know, we've been members with, pretty much since day one, um, has uh, launched, had launched uh, their diversity survey, the first ever uh, publishing industry diversity survey. And it's the first step, that's that's a good first step in identifying the state of the nation. Um, And I feel that there's definitely a need for more diversity inclusion. And it's been a hot topic, right, over the last two years and beyond, besides the pandemic, you know, uh, in the wake of the death of um, the murder of George Floyd, the world, you know, started thinking much more about diversity and inclusion um, in their everyday work. And I think the publishing industry has too. So I think the first step is always recognizing that there's an issue and a challenge, which I think the publishing industry have. And the next step is is talking about having an open forum with everyone about how we can solve that problem. Uh, and if you look at the publishing industry as a whole, I know it's hard to generalize, but what would you say are the where it, where is there a deficit? deficit so to speak on the diversity issue i think there's still uh i i think there's still a long way to go actually i think we we aren't as diverse as an industry that we 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 hope we could be and the start of that is actually getting much more representation of different uh groups of people within the industry um i i know we have moved a little forward when it comes to gender equality uh, but I think there's a lot more to do in, when it comes to other strands, particularly social mobility, people of colour and, you know, uh, sexuality as well. Now, the PPA Diversity Initiative, which, as you say, you won last year. Well, what exactly was the initiative, um, the award winning initiative you, you did? Well, actually, our submission was uh, all about how diversity shouldn't be an initiative at all. You know, and diversity should be ingrained into the very fabric of your everyday. And we demonstrated how that was the way uh, we worked it out there. And that's what led us to win. Okay. So if you take just a, a you know, a standard medium sized publishing company um, uh, and they, they realize, you know, they participated in the survey, they know they've, they've got some issues. What, what would you say should be the next steps they should, you know, if they're genuine about trying to fix the problem, what, what are the next steps they should take? To create a diversity strategy. 
Uh, and I know that sounds like a big, you know, like a big deal, but it isn't. It's to think about the steps you need to take as a business, as an organization, to to um, to to create a more inclusive workplace. Particularly, I would say that's the first step uh, to look at your board, to look at representation with across your company. Do you have those people within your company? Because if you don't have those people, it's very hard to 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 move on um, because representation is so important. And then beyond that, look at your storytelling, look at your advertising, look at the way you market yourself. Are you talking to a populace that are far more, far more uh, diverse than ever before? Interesting. So it's really a kind of a root and branch reform, isn't it, that's needed? No, absolutely. And, you know, I think that's going back to why we won the award. It's we don't feel that it's, you know, something that is an initiative. It's not, it shouldn't be something that's uh, uh, something that, you know, like, you, you've got got to do in the same way that we feel like you know sustainability is something that you feel you have to do it should be part of your everyday now looking at the global travel industry now as, as we start to emerge from the pandemic um what what practical changes would you like to see well three let's say three could you name three practical changes you would like to see travel brands take to to better cater for the lgbtq plus community uh, I've got a lot actually, but you know what? It's 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 a difficult time uh, in travel. You know, it's a stop-start time. Um, hopefully, we're moving forward. But um, only yesterday, I heard that Morocco had shut its doors back to us. Uh, had shut its doors again um, to to UK travellers. So we're not out of the dark yet. Uh, Things can always change, um, and I know a lot of people have to focus on business first, right? Making money and, and making a comeback and looking after their staff and all that kind of thing. But in this time, I feel that it's been an opportunity, like I, like I was saying uh, a little bit earlier, we've had the opportunity to, uh, as a brand to take stock of where we're going uh, from a brand perspective. And I think the travel industry can do the same to really take stock about when it comes to diversity and inclusion, to look at how they're marketing to their audiences, how they're talking to their audiences, uh, and um, how they can be much more inclusive in in the way they communicate with the wider world, but also their staff. There's also a big call uh, in this market to build back better. I'm sure you've heard that a million times, a few uh, times, James. <laughs> <laughs> but you know there is there is ways and means that we can look at making uh, safe spaces for LGBT people across the world uh, as we move forward um, and to embrace uh, the community but not just embrace from a profitable standpoint because you want to profit from the community but really be part of the community and take time to understand what the challenges are and what 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 people who are different to yourselves face um, and I think that's that's you know what I would like to see people start to do uh, as we come out of this uh, challenging period of time. Now you're, you're obviously passionate about travel that that shines through um what is it about travel that gives you such a buzz? Oh, that's a that's a hard question, James. But um, I guess it's it's just in my it's in my DNA. You know, it's, as someone who is intersectional, as someone who is from uh, my 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 family's from Malaysia. I grew up here. We traveled a lot when I was a kid. It, it's in my blood. Um, and what I love most about travel is meeting people, meeting people who are different to you, meeting people who have experienced life in a different way and, and, um, and, and experience, you know, have a culture that is different because it really expands your horizons. It helps you to be a better person. 
And, and that's my fear, you know, from this two years in lockdown, that people haven't really had the opportunity to go out and see what life is like beyond their four walls in this case, but, you know, beyond, um, beyond what they know. And um, my fear is that that may lead to a more insular society. And travel has the power to really change that and really, really make people uh, see the world in a different way and make us be better people. Uh, and your most memorable travel experience? Wow. <laughs> now, that's a really hard question because I do that. All, I, I travel quite a lot. But I would say, you know, I, I'd say, uh, how long have you got? <laughs> <laughs> no, my most memorable travel experience is actually what led me to start Out There magazine. Um, I had traveled to Cambodia. I just left my marketing company. I had the benefit of selling uh, back my shares in a marketing company that I uh, had helped create. And I um, took myself off traveling because, like I said, it's in my blood. So I took myself to Cambodia. Um, and this was many, many moons ago uh, when you could still um, climb up Angkor Wat. Uh, which is just a majestic, uh, ancient UNESCO heritage site, an entire city, basically, um, that has been almost preserved. Uh, uh, and there is something very spiritual about the place. I'm a very rational person, but there's something that got me in very, very spiritual about the place. And it was just at the time I was trying to figure out what, you know, what, where we were going to go, if we were going to start out there, if it was going to be something that publishing was an industry that I wanted to get up into. And one of the things you do in Cambodia is to uh, climb up Angkor Wat first when dawn breaks. So you see the sun rise over the, um, over the temples and determined to be the first person up there because the first person up there gets a blessing from the monk, the abbot. Um, who lives, who, 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 who works at the temple every morning. So I was determined to be the first person up there. Strenuous climb in the dark, got up there and found that I had been beaten by an elderly Canadian woman in crutches. So <laughs> she must have, I don't know what time she started or how she levitated her way up there, but she beat me up there. Fair enough. And, you know, we, we, we spent some time together. We watched the sunrise over Anakawat. And as the sun rose, she confided in me that it was her final trip. Uh, because she was dying she had a terminal cancer um and you know we had we had a little tear we had a little chat we talked about our lives and where we were going to and her final words to me were you know if there's something you really want to do uh and you're thinking about it go out and do it because you know if you don't you'll always regret it like me you know I regret that I've uh not been able to see as much of the world that I wanted to see and now I'm about to pass away uh, and so my advice to you, young man, is to get out there, do whatever you want, embrace each day as it comes uh, and take the world on headfirst. Uh, and as soon as we got back from Cambodia, we started out there. It's a very inspiring story. <laughs> so she's the one who gave you the final push. Absolutely. Not push off, not push off the top of my car, hopefully. <laughs> but yeah, she, she, she aimed me in the right direction. Uh, and I've never looked back since. Now, looking ahead, you and over the next few years, where, where do you think independent publishers, you know, like yourself, um, should be focusing their efforts? Ooh, well, that's a crystal ball question. <laughs> um, I think independent publishers, smaller publishers, should really be focused on. 
creating the best content that they can, really. Um, I think, yeah, I, I felt particularly over the last um, few years, we're moving back towards a world where content is king. Whereas I think when I first started this, and, you know, part of the reason we wanted to start out there uh, was we felt that, you know, editorial particularly was was leaning to clickbait, you know, it was leaning to 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 towards what would generate the most clicks so that pay-per-click advertising uh, would be beneficial. And that's the advent of the listicles and the roundups. And, you know, I grew up where Matt, in a, at a time where magazines were something that really, you know, really loved. It was something you kept. The very word magazine means something you store away, you know, something the best of the best. Um, and magazines became something uh, that was disposable, that you bought for 20p and you throw away on the train or actually you leave there, you know, you leave on the train. And I thought that was really sad. And and, and that's why, you know, we've we, we've really put a lot of emphasis on production quality and, and design and editorial quality when it comes to out there. We don't do any listicles, uh, for example. Everything is long form. It can be a short long form article, but it's still, it's still long form. Um, and we wanted to create a platform where editorial was king, where we would always look at the very best as, as possible uh, when it comes to content. And I feel that we should all, as publishers, really focus on our content again going forward and make, you know, create things that are truly special uh, and truly stand out. And where next for out there, you know, the next few years, what are your goals, your plans? Um, where do you hope the magazine will be in, let's say, two or three years' time? At this moment in time, we're taking each day as it comes, James. <laughs> really. Uh, you know, I think if you asked me at, at, in, in back in 2019, uh, at the end of the year 2019, I would have grand plans. And we actually did make some grand plans. And, I, you know, I, I, I would say that I, I'm actually quite, we're very lucky that the pandemic came at the first quarter of the year rather than in the middle of the year. Because if the pandemic came in the middle of the year, we would have engaged into recruiting and expanding our uh, editorial base, expanding our sales team and invested in a lot of, you know, the capital that, 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 that was needed to, to create those things. And I think we would be in a very different place because the pandemic came early. We pivoted quickly. Um, and I, I, I don't think we would have been able to do that if it came in September for example. Um, so I'm, with my glass half full, I am taking each day as it comes uh, and building back better uh, <laughs> and learning from the pivots. I'm, I'm giving you all the cliches right now. Um, <laughs> do, do you think you'll revisit those plans? I mean, obviously it's early days and we're just emerging from a, you know, a dark time, but you know, those ambitious plans you had at the beginning of last year, are they Will they be revived at some point? I hope do you think? so. I hope so. And I, you know, I, I, I confidently, quietly, confidently know so <laughs> because that's the sort of person I am. But, you know, the way we we're engaging with with the industry is, is very different. We, you know, we're 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 thinking much more strategically rather than thinking necessarily big uh, uh, and, um, you know, long term necessarily. But we're not being tactical too. We're not. We're not going to just try and make go find out what's going to make us a quick buck over the next year. You know, we're really investing in in our thinking 
uh, we're investing in the sort of uh, content and and what is really going to turn people on after this after all this time um, and we're investing in in the people I think that we need uh, to, 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 to build a more diverse uh, and inclusive brand and that's that's the key thing you know diversity is the first of our brand pillars I think we've got the discovery and the discernment part down um, um, but there's always work to be done when it comes to diversity and that's a big focus for me so for example, you know, being starting life as an LGBT magazine for, for men, we're an all-male team, right? Um, and while we're a specialist uh, publisher, we recognize that we need to be more diverse too. So the last issue that just was just, just hit the stands, the Spellbinding, the spellbinding Scotland issue um, has a freelance base made up entirely of women. Um, so, you know, we're, we're going to look into doing things like that uh, more uh, to be able to create a better business for us. And an exciting future, you feel? I'm always excited about the future because you never know what's going to come. <laughs> no, it's an exciting future. You know, I really love what I do. You know, I spend a lot of time uh, during lockdown, as I'm sure a lot of people do, thinking about this, particularly in the travel and publishing industry that was, you know, really on its knees. And I thought about, I thought to myself, what would it, what would I do if I wasn't doing this, you know? Uh, and I couldn't, I couldn't, I still can't figure it out. I love what I do. And I love this industry, both travel and publishing. And I, you know, come what may, um, we will do our best to, 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 to do our best. <laughs> Well, the pa- the passion is clear. You and um, a question we finally a question we ask all our guests on the podcast. Um, outside of work, and I think you might use might the answer might be travel, <laughs> but outside of work, <laughs> how do you relax? The answer is travel, um, <laughs> absolutely. You know, and and a lot of people ask me, has travel become work and work become travel? Uh, it has to some to some degree, and I I would say actually towards the end of twenty nineteen, uh, uh, I I was getting a little you know. Uh, uh, jet lagged <laughs> living in a living in a constant state of jet lag uh, and trying to run the business all at the same time um but i had a good break in 2020 um and i'm chomping at the bit to go again so travel and anything related to the world of travel so whether it's hotel design or it's a cocktail from a hotel <laughs> a cocktail recipe from a hotel or cooking you know that's the other thing if it wasn't travel it was cooking that's how i relax i cook all right in fact just two follow-ups what's your favorite cocktail <laughs> I am partial at this moment to a whiskey sour, but that's that's just for now. And um, which country or region which you haven't visited would you most like to visit? Oh, what's top of my bucket list? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, there are two countries beginning with B, and that's Bhutan and Botswana. Maybe later in the year or next year. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Can't wait. You and John, thank you very much for being our guest on the In Publishing podcast. Thank you for having me, James. It's been delightful. A final word from our valued podcast sponsor. Air Business is trusted by 4,000 publications and 3 million happy subscribers, with 10 million customer records on file. It processes £500 million each year in 22 currencies and delivers over 300 million items. Find out more at airbusiness.com.
Many thanks to Ewan for being our guest this week. His thoughts on extending diversity by enshrining it in company culture, as opposed to treating it as a series of one-off initiatives, particularly stood out, as did his emphasis on editorial quality. You can find out more about Out There magazine at their website, outthere.travel. They are also on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter under the handle OutThereMag. You can find out more about us at inpublishing.co.uk where you can also catch up on previous episodes of the podcast. Thank you for listening and do join me in two weeks' time for another podcast. Bye for now.